Good morning, folks. How you doing? It's a beautiful day outside. Love the rain. Never get so far away from being a farm boy that I don't get excited when it rains during crop season. I'm sure some of you understand that. God was good to me, though. Didn't make me grow up. Didn't make me remain on the farm, particularly milking cows part. But anyhow, I want to welcome you all this morning. We're going to be studying Psalm 103 this morning. One of my very favorites in the whole Word of God. Uh, Psalm 103 is is pure praise. So hopefully I can set the tone for our rejoicing as we go through that this morning. If you have a Bible with you, why don't you open it up? We're going to read this psalm together. If you don't have one, uh, it's going to be projected onto the screen here. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul. And it begins, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives your iniquity, who heals your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to his children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O ye his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of the Lord. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers, to do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Well, as I mentioned just briefly there, Psalm 103 is pure praise. It's eternal praise, it's gospel praise, it's full of gospel truth. Psalm 103 has been said to be the precursor to the book of Romans in the New Testament. It's beautiful text for funerals of believers. For them, faith has become sight. And for those, it's a reminder of what lies ahead for believers in Jesus. Very comforting. Um, Psalm 103 is pure worship. It's focused on one person, Yahweh. Now, those of you who read your Bibles as we went through that, you probably, maybe you didn't notice, but I want you to notice that Lord is capital R, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, all capitals. That is a key in your Bibles. It says it's referring to Yahweh, the the personal covenant name of God. And uh, the slides that I produced came from a Bible app on Bible Gateway. I didn't do that, but you will notice that in your scripture, I mean in your Bibles. 
It's focusing on the I am, the eternal one, the self-existent one, the only uncaused cause in the universe. Remember, that was the name. He used that name when he introduced himself to Moses at the burning bush. In Exodus 3, verses 13 and 14, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So I am is the personal covenant name of God. Uh, if you remember back in John chapter 8 in the New Testament, there's a very interesting chapter there. Starts out with the woman taken in adultery. Then Jesus begins having a dispute with the Jewish religious leaders of the day. Uh, they're wondering where he came from, what, or what authority he's doing what he's doing. Uh, you know, they said he's a Samaritan, which was a terrible insult to him. And he said, we have Abraham as our father. He said, if Abraham was your father, you'd do the works of Abraham. You are of your father, the devil. That doesn't make for a very cordial conversation, and it, and it got worse from there on. In John chapter 8, uh, he said, they said, we've got Abraham as our father. And Jesus said in verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, this was thousands of years before Jesus is saying that Abraham saw his day. Now they're thinking, come on. You're not yet 50 years old. Now he's 30. You'd think they could come closer than that. You're not yet 50. You've seen Abraham. He said, I say, he said, uh, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Had we been there, I'm sure we'd have heard a collective gasp when they said that, and they picked up stones to throw out at him. Why? Because they understood he was claiming to be Yahweh. They understood he was claiming to be God, and death by stoning was the penalty for doing that. Anyways, it wasn't his time, so he passed through them. Well, and I want to say at the onset that all the blessings we're going to read about in this psalm today are ours because of the person and the finished work of Jesus. They were all future when they were given here in Psalm 103. When I say that this is pure praise, I mean in the sense there's no mention of any historical circumstances around this psalm. If you've read the psalms, you know that they are often have in the header, like Psalm 3, for example. It said it was written by David when his son Absalom was pursuing him to kill him. There's none of that in this. There's no mention of historical circumstances. It's pure praise. The believers, for the believer, this is to be our focus in life. And I'm going to really hammer home on, home on hammer, hammer that home today. So, bear, you know, brace yourselves. For the believer, this is true north. There's no mention of enemies, famines, foes, threats. There's no requests, no complaints, no petition. Probably no pure outburst of praise exists in the entire Bible in Psalm 103. And it begins with a list of alls and it ends with alls. It begins and ends with a very personal call to worship. The first line is, bless the Lord, O my soul. The last line, bless the Lord, O my soul. Listen, Psalm 103 is only for believers, to, know, to people who know him as their God, who know Jesus as Savior. 
And to those who, according to verses 13, 11, and 17, fear the Lord or hold him in awesome reverence, or in verse 18, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Now, King David was most likely the author, but we don't know that for sure. He's assumed to be. And, uh, and some have said, well, it was King David in his old age. We, again, that might be, but we can't be certain because it doesn't say. But I will say this, old age is the best time to praise the Lord. I know at age 71, I have the benefit of looking back and seeing things that I thought were, were a slight in my life, things that didn't go as I thought they would, you know, poor pitiful me. But I can look back now and see how God was in that. He meant, it to, he meant it to happen for my good. And I've lived long enough to see that. So when I praise the Lord, I do that with all that track record. So saying that David was the writer of this and in his old age to me makes a lot of sense. May very well be true. You know, it's kind of like our, our, sometimes we do our time of prayer before um, church. We use the acrostic pray, P-R-A-Y, praise, repent, ask, and yield. In my old age, there's very, most nights, I probably don't get beyond praise. I'll wake up in the morning, hey, I didn't finish last night. Not that I don't have things to repent for, but there's so many things to praise God for, that's just the way it goes in my old age. And uh, so, Psalm, this psalm is a psalm of worship. It has three parts. The first is an internal call to worship, an internal call to worship. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It begins with a command to our own soul to speak to God in ways that honor and give him glory. This is where worship starts. Now listen, the cry in our soul to our soul is only as loud as our knowledge of God. It's only compelling as our, our holiness. Now think about that. How can we praise someone we don't know? Or how can we adequately praise someone we only know in part? How do we know God? Well, we know him through his word primarily. That's where he's revealed to us. So if you'd like to know more about God, that's where you start with his word. Another way you can do it is prayer. Another way you can do it is with fellowship with other people. But anyways, if you don't know God, as, you, know, you can only praise him to the extent that you know him. And, and you can, it's only compelling is your holiness because if you've got a bunch of sin in your life unrepented of, you're not going to want to praise God. You're going to want to stay away from God. You're going to want to hide. Okay, the purest form of worship happens, really, when it comes from our heart. I want you to notice there's no band here. There's no worship leader. There's no low lights. There's no special effects. This is true internal worship. And the best form of worship happens when the song is in our heart before it's in the room. It's how we are to live our lives. It gets very specific, verse seven. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. This is a command to my soul to note every benefit, every one, catalog every grace, every act of mercy, every act, every provision, every protection, every kindness, every expression of love, every providence. And really, if you start doing that, it's amazing what you come up with. How do we keep our minds on track to do this? My way, the way it works for me, is I usually have a Christian song in my head during the day. I usually awaken in the morning with a song in my head. Seems like that really, that really stimulates me to think of things of God. 
I don't know what it is with you, but find something. Now, that's how we're to live our lives. It gets very specific. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And in verse 8, then, I'm sorry, and later in verse 18 at the end, it's and remember to do his benefits. So the summary of this introduction is this. We won't know God and be able to adequately praise him unless we know him well, and we won't be able to praise him as well as we might otherwise if our life is full of sin. That's why repentance is important before we ask. So, I guess, I mentioned having a song running through my head. I think of when I was a kid, count your blessings, name them, what? One by one. I saw a bunch of mouths move. Count your, count your blessings, see what God has done. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Start doing it sometime, you'll be amazed how many, in how many ways God has blessed you. So, in verse 18 at the end, it says, and remember to do his benefits. So the summary of the introduction here is we remember his benefits and thank him. And remember to do his commandments because we love him and we are thankful. And with the idea, is this really too much to ask, given what God has done for us? And the answer is no, it certainly isn't. Now, beginning in, in verses three through five, we're seeing a, given a list of divine benefits. Verse three, the first part, it says, who forgives all your iniquity or sins. Now, this is only possible because Jesus died on the cross. We're gonna talk more about this later. But God couldn't just say you're forgiven. There had to be a penalty paid. Jesus did that on the cross. And then it goes on in verse three B, and who heals all your diseases. Now, some say this, this refers to physical diseases, and it may, because there's a sense in which all healing comes from God, whether it's through his direct intervention or through the, the body's immune system, which he created. But I, I think more, a better uh, application of this, he heals healing our diseases, because that has to be as, at least as comprehensive as, as forgiving all our sins. And we all have illness because we're dying. All of us are dying at some way or another. We're aging. If, if we were, I, I think if he healed all our diseases, nothing would ever take us down. So I'm believing that this is really referring to diseases of the soul like pride, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, hatred, rebellion. And then verse 4a, who redeems your life from the pit. He's talking about our salvation, our redemption. Think of these benefits, forgiveness of sin, healing of our spiritual diseases, redemption of our life. This, this promises that one day we'll all be resurrected to eternal glory in heaven. And then four, the end of verse four says, bless the Lord who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Kind of like a coronation. It's a kind of love that is unbroken, uh, expressed in determined acts of the will by which God keeps his promises to those who belong to him. He is a pardoning God. He is a forgiving God. He makes a covenant with those who put their trust in him and he will never break that covenant. And all this re results in two more benefits. Verse five, the Lord, bless the Lord who satisfies you with good. The sanctified blessed life is a satisfied life. And verse five, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The eagle is, a, is always a symbol for strength and vitality. That's how it is. 
satisfy the life, it's wholesome and it's strong, it's nourished, it flourishes. So the first call to worship is internal, asking, speaking to my heart, thanking him and praising him for all he's given me. So my life is just this one continuous, to one degree or another, expression of praise to God. And I think the closer you get to God, that will be as natural as breathing. If you find yourself not wanting to do that, not wanting to think about it, you probably have some sin in your life, or maybe you don't know Jesus as your Savior. Those are the two possibilities I would come up with. So then secondly, we have an external call to worship. First call is internal, then secondly, it's external. Well, I'm going to put this down. I got some real glare on this from my notes here. There. Oh, yes. It's a miracle. Okay. Now here, the psalmist moves beyond speaking to his own heart and speaks of what God does for everyone who comes to him. In verse 11, it says he makes no, excuse me, in verse 7, he makes knows his way, he make known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. All the salvation promises were originally given to Moses, but they came to fruition. They came into being when Jesus died on the cross, when he was buried, and he rose again on the third day when he finished his work. That's what really activated him. So, verse 6 then, the Lord works his righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Literally, Yahweh, or God, is always working total righteousness. He provides righteousness for those who are captive to sin, and his judgments are righteous. Have you ever just wondered this? Why didn't God just say, you're forgiven? He could have spared Jesus all the trouble, right? You ever wonder that? Come on, be honest. You have wondered that, haven't you? No, he couldn't. If God could not just say you're forgiven because then he would have been in violation of his own law. God said the soul that sins will die and the wages of sin is death. So either we had to die, the sinners, or someone had to die in our place. That was Jesus. He was a perfect substitute. God laid all his sin on Jesus on the cross And the last thing Jesus said was, it is finished into thy hands. I commend my spirit. There's nothing more that could ever be done to pay for the penalty of sin other than what Jesus did there. Now, there's something very important that happens when we come to Jesus and accept him as our savior. When we come to him repenting for sin and ask him to come into our life and make us new, God at that point instantly takes away all of our sin. And he does something else. He gives us the very righteousness of Jesus Christ is placed into our eternal account. That's called imputation. It's a bookkeeping term. He takes out the sin. He puts in the righteousness of Jesus. I want to give you some scriptures on that. The first one is Romans chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. But now the righteousness of God, or it could be the righteousness from God, has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through Jesus Christ to all who believe. There it is. When we believe, God takes our sin. He gives us the righteousness of Jesus. That's how he can accept us. That's how he, when he sees us, he sees us in Christ. 
Even though we have ongoing sin in our life, Jesus paid for it. He sees us in Christ. Uh, the Apostle Paul affirmed that in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Now here it is, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, or we would say from coming, doing good deeds, from being a good person. It's not that, but the righteousness that comes from faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's the imputed righteousness I'm talking about. That's what saves us. That's how God can forgive us. Martin Luther called that the great exchange. We give him our sin, he gives us Christ's righteousness. We're now given another reason to bless the Lord. Verse eight, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Verse nine, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. God does not perpetually find fault with us. See, I, as I, when I was growing up, I was scared to death of God. Oh, man, I did this. He's going to get me for that. In my early days as a Christian, I thought of that. I always worried about it. God's going to get me. He's going to get my loved ones. He's going to get someone I do something. He's going to punish Tammy, which might not be a bad idea sometimes. But, <laughs> but you're going to get my grandkids. You know I'm kidding, don't you? Yeah. I used to worry about that all the time. I don't know how I read verse, maybe I didn't read these verses. Lord is, Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, bounding in steadfast love, who not always chide nor will keep his anger forever. And then in verse 10, we have one of the most precious verses, in my opinion, in all of Scripture. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. You realize if he did, we'd all be in hell. Every one of us. Doesn't matter. The best among best person in, in relative moral goodness here, apart from the saving work of, of Jesus, if we die, we will suffer in hell. Instead, he put our sins and iniquities on Jesus. Okay. Martin Luther called it the great exchange. John Calvin observed how wonderfully he blesses those he might justly destroy. His loving kindness, his covenant love, his committed love, his complete forgiveness of sin is so staggering that it requires illustrations of infinity here to describe them. Stay with me here. Verse 11, the first illustration. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, how high is that? Some years ago, NASA came out and said, we think we know how large the universe is. Here's their answer. If you go 186,000 miles a second for a year, that's a light year. 186,000 miles a second. You could reach the end of the known universe according to the calculation by NASA, 225, not million, not billion, but trillion years. And think of it, do they get, do you get, imagine we could do that, do we go to the end, we peek through a curtain, see what's there, no. I mean, those are mind-boggling things. What, what, how vast is it? Trillion. Light years. Are you kidding me? 
So great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Feel unloved? It's foolish to do so, friends. That's how much God loves you. I know there's times we have things happen in life and we think, how can God love us? Well, that's where we get to the old guy thing because I've lived long enough to see those very things that I thought were his lack of love were actually his direct love towards me. So will you. Maybe you've all lived long enough to see that too. He does another, uh, as far as the east is from the west, so has so far as removed our transgressions from us. Okay, you start going east or start going west, let me know when you get there. It's infinite. It's never ending. I bet there are some of you here today that that are so ashamed of some sin in your life, some things that you've done that you just can't let go of. Why? God's removed it from you as far as the east from the west. Christ died for it. He paid the penalty. I know some of you are suffering depression and things like that because of things in your past. If you brought them to Christ, you've been forgiven. Let it go. Let it go. Unless you want to praise God for doing it, that's great. But don't sit around, oh, God, I'm so, I don't know if you really love me or not. Yes. As far as is from the east is from the west, far as the heavens are from the earth. Why such love? Why such infinite forgiveness? Verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion on those who fears him, fear him. He loves us because he's our father. He knows us. He knows us intimately, and he still loves us. Don't think you're hiding anything from him. Oh, man, I don't want God to know this. He knows it, friends. Sorry. He knows it before it happens. Well, because I'll tell you what, he still loves us. Verse, okay, let's go to verses 14 through 16. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. Anyone recognize that picture there where that's from? That's the Milford Cemetery. That's the largest monument in Milford Cemetery. And I, I've, as I spend a lot of time in the cemetery, not because I'm ghoulish, because I just I find it peaceful. I like to go out there and walk and pray. And I've noticed so many people have died so long ago. The people who erected that monument in memory of them lived and died in the late 1800s. I don't recognize their name. You probably couldn't find a person in Milford to have any clue who those people are or were. That's what it's saying. And the wind passes over and it's no more. We're here and gone. We're so fragile. He's infinite. We're this little pile of dust that blows away. He understands our meager strength, but he's not like us. Verse 17, now get this. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. I might put in there as as great as the heavens are from the earth or the east is from the west to those who fear him and to his children's children, the righteousness to his children's children. Listen carefully. This means that as long as God has existed, he has loved you. If you're here and you know Jesus as your Savior, 
We were elect from eternity past. God chose us. And he will love us when he takes us to heaven. So from electing love to glorifying love, God knows us and he loves those who are his. His love is as great as the east is from the west. What I'm trying to get across here, friends, is I I know I'm a pharmacist. I see people every day who are so miserable. And I really hate that when that happens to Christian people. Because it's unnecessary. It doesn't have to be. That comes from Satan, not from God. The words are right here. The promises are here about the degree to which we're loved and cherished by God. Far more than any, any mate can love us. I mean, it's 50 years. I I've told people I've never known anyone, honestly, that I thought had a better marriage than me. But I'll tell you what, God loves you more than I do, Tama. He loves me more than you do, too. That's just the way it is. Please at least tell me you're understanding what I'm saying there. Whether you believe it or not, it's another thing. Okay. Do yourself a favor and believe it. Again, who does the Lord love? Those who worship him. True worshipers who are manifest in their truthfulness in their worship by, verse 21, verse 18, those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Those who are faithful and obedient. And you'll think, well, gee, I don't want to do all his commandments. But if you, if you love him, if you're close to him, you understand him, you know him, that's as natural as breathing to want to please him. If the only reason we, we do good things for our wife or husband or those who we love in life is because we should, it's never going to be too sincere. We do it because we want to. We want to make them happy. Now listen, I think honestly, nothing clear, more clearly demonstrates the remaining sin in our lives than the, than the than and the ease with which we forget such staggering love and blessing. And that's sad, but I think it's true. We've seen the internal call to worship and now an external call to worship. Lastly, we see a universal call to worship. Verse 23, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. There's a king far greater than David, far greater than any other king, the king who is over all, Yahweh, the Lord, the great I am, the self-existent one, creator of all that is. The Lord, being Lord, includes all the angels of heaven. Verse 20, bless the Lord, O my soul. Oh, oh you, excuse me, bless the Lord, O you mighty angels, you mighty ones who, keep his, who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. See four characteristics of angels there. They're his, for one thing, They're mighty, they obey his word, and they are strong. They they are obedient, they serve only him, they're forever worshiping Yahweh, something we will do when we are glorified in heaven. Verse 21, the psalmist reaches beyond the angels and says, bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will, who do his will, who are the hosts of heaven. According to Deuteronomy 4.19, the hosts of heaven are the sun, the moon, and the stars. So the angels, the heavenly hosts, are called to worship Yahweh. Combining this with verse 22, bless the Lord, all his works, all his places of dominion. And we see the psalmist is calling on the entire universe to praise the Lord.
So creation is called to praise the Lord. It is first internal, then external, then universal. Now, the last five verses there, four, one, one three, three verses. See four bless the Lords. I want to read that together. I want you guys to do bless the Lord each time, and then I'll read it. So you ready? You got this? Tough assignment. See, bless the Lord, you read that. Okay, go. Bless the Lord. Oh, you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord. All his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord. All his works, all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. Man, now this was a great psalm, wasn't it? And I'm wondering here, friends, where are you with God? I hope everyone here is born again believer in Jesus. But if you aren't or you're not sure, why not? I mean, you've seen all his goodness. You've seen his majesty. You've seen his power. You know, one day you will have to stand before him, give an account of your life. The only right answer is, I'm here because I believed in Jesus. I trusted your son. And if you're here and you are a Christian, why, why the long face? I know there's people who have experienced things that are, I've never even dreamt of. Sad, harmful, brutal disappointments. But somehow we have to balance that with the love of God and who he is. And knowing that whatever speck of time this life is in a timeline of eternity, we will in fact spend an eternity in heaven where all that's gone. There's reason for everyone to rejoice in God. And I think if we would really try doing that, we would be a much healthier family. We'd be much healthier homes. And I know we'd be a much healthier church. You imagine what we'd be as a community or as a nation, or as a world. So if you're here and you know Jesus is your Savior, try rejoicing, try counting your blessings, try thanking him. Go off defense and go on offense. Just see how much you can thank him. Because it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Okay, let's all rise for prayer.